Our Bible reading tonight is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 17. It's actually one of my favourite books, Ecclesiastes, and it talks about how meaningless our toiling is under the sun. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering up and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Well, hello everybody. My name's Paul. It's my pleasure to be able to share from God's word tonight with you, that part that we've just read. But before we do this, just wondering if, um, if this sounds familiar. Sound familiar? Stumble out of bed, get ready for work, travel for work, start work, stop work for lunch, go back to work, end of day, travel home, have dinner, watch TV, Go to bed. Start again. Does it sound familiar? Many of us have had that sort of thing. Again and again and again. The same pattern since our school days. And it goes on and on and on. Nothing has changed since our childhood. Only that we're actually getting up earlier. We have more debt, more responsibility and even more busy. So much of our life is consumed by work. It could be schoolwork, career work, it could be housework. And so often we find that um, work is never done. It's all a bit depressing, isn't it? So what's the point of it all? What's the point? How can I find meaning in the daily grind of, of life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I'm pretty sure we all have. The Bible asks that question too. Um, we just read it in, in, just then on the, on the screen. I've got the verse, probably a key verse for tonight. 
What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? How does God's word answer this question? Well, before we get into that, why don't we actually stop and pray and ask God to help us to understand his teaching on work. So would you pray with me? Let's bow and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we've already prayed tonight, we admit that we need your help. And especially, Lord, in the area of work, where there's joy, but also pain, satisfaction, but also frustration. Lord, please help us. Help us to have uh, a mind that is wise, to have your wisdom when it comes to work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, we've uh, already, Ross already shared with us tonight, we're continuing our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the big theme in this book is the whole idea of meanings, the search for meaning in life. It's a question we all want to ask, and that is, what is the point of it all? And it's the question that the teacher is asking. The teacher is the one who's written Ecclesiastes. And he asks that question, what is the point of it all? Where can we find meaning? And the teacher has looked far and wide. He's looked throughout human history. Is there meaning in wisdom, in uh, deep thought and reflection? His answer is no. Well, how about pleasure? How about comfort and entertainment? Is there meaning there? The teacher says no. The teacher's conclusion is that it's all absurd. It's meaningless. It's futile. And that's not his final word on these issues, but it's where he begins. Fairly depressing position. So what about the whole area of work? In our passage today, the teacher takes us from um, the contemplative life of wisdom and the sensual life of pleasure and now moves to the active life, the active life of work. What is the point of work? His work he sees is, is uh, important, it's successful, even beneficial. So maybe you can find meaning in that. This is what he wonders. I think it's what many of us might wonder. Can we find meaning? Can I import significance into my life through my work? Again, we see the question here on the screen, chapter 2, verse 22. What do people get? for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, what do we get from work in this world? It's a good question to ask. Because you think about it, work forms an enormous part of our lives. I mean, at the very least, about a third of our time, maybe more than a third of our time, is spent at work. And these days, as technology has improved, um, we find ourselves even more consumed by work. There's no clocking off and leaving the office anymore because you're carrying your phone. You're being reminded of all your work commitments there on your phone. And of course, well, working from home has become commonplace over the last 12 months. Work is creeping into every part of our lives. And so it's a good question to ask. What is the point of it? Now... Just to be a bit of a spoiler, actually, the teacher has already answered this question in an earlier verse that we didn't read, from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. I've got it here on screen for us. 
Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. There was nothing gained under the sun. What do people get for all their toil? The teacher says nothing. Work is pointless. So why? Can we ask at least the question, why? Why is it pointless? Now just on the side of this point, the whole topic of work in the Bible is, is a big one and we could spend a lot, we could spend weeks unpacking this whole topic. So just an aside, I don't want to be totally negative about work but today we are going to be a bit negative. But the Bible is clear that actually work is good. If you go right back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, God puts Adam in the garden and he tells him to do what? To work it. To get down and start working. It's being part of created in, being in God's image. And so in that section we see that work is actually good. It enables us to worship God, to serve the community, and to some extent actually fulfil what it means to be a human. But of course, you know the story. After Genesis 2, we get Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. And God reminds us that work might be good, but it will also be grim. It'll be grim in a fallen, frustrated and crooked world. In that chapter, we're told again that the, the, the ground will start to yield thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of their brow, you will do work. Now the Bible does challenge a demeaning view of work that it's totally negative. But it also has balance. It challenges an over-exalted view of work and that's what we're going to do a bit tonight. We're going to challenge this over-exalted view of work. So back to our earlier question. Why does work seem so pointless? And from our section tonight there's three things. The first is this. It's under the shadow of death. Just a little earlier in the chapter that we, uh, that we read tonight, the teacher makes this observation about the wise and the foolish. I've got it here on the screen for you. I'll read it for you. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realise the same fate overtakes them both. What is that fate that he's talking about? The same fate that overtakes both the wise and the foolish? Death. Death is the great leveller. Both the fool and the wise will die. Death makes wisdom senseless. In the, in the end, there's no distinction between the wise man or the fool. They'll both end up in the grave. And so the shadow of death makes work senseless as well. In fact, the reality of death is actually going to be a sour note that's going to be repeated again and again and again, right throughout Ecclesiastes. Why is he doing that? Well, because we need to hear it. Again, we talked about balanced perspective. We need to hear it, otherwise we'll put our confidence in the wrong place. We'll put our hope on a footing that actually will crumble. We'll put our feet on a foundation that's too weak to bear the weight that we want it to bear. Think for a moment. 
can our work and our wealth bring us ultimate security? There's an awful lot of people out there that are working really, really hard building their own security. But work can't do that because the shadow of death will cover us all. Okay, that's the first thing, the shadow of death. That's the first thing that undermines work. The second thing, the second issue is the question of inheritance. We don't know who will get what we've worked for. Verse 18 here up on the screen for us all to read. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they'll have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. You see, you might work diligently, wisely, successfully. You might become wealthy, but we'll leave both our work and our wealth to others. And for all we know, it might go to a fool who will fritter it away. I'll tell you a story. Cornelius Vanderbilt, I don't know if you know him, he built a fortune on the railroads and shipping during the mid-1800s in America. Now, adjusted for, adjusted for the size of the economy, he was one of the richest Americans ever. In today's money, he was worth over $200 billion. $200 billion. That's a fair bit of money, yeah? Yet his children, and especially his grandchildren, lived lavishly and did little to, pursue, to preserve the fortune. By the 1970s, the family actually held a reunion. 120 members were there. There wasn't one millionaire amongst them, not even a millionaire. $200 billion gone within two generations. You might be powerful in life, but in our death we are powerless. We are unable to control where the fruits of our labour end up. Whatever we leave behind, it can be misused. It can be our fame, our fortune, a firm, a farm. It could all end up with a fool. There's no guarantee that the next generation will continue our work for good. Now the story of squandered family wealth can be repeated countless times throughout history. And because it's, it's a case of easy come, easy go. Have a look at verse 21 here on the screen for us. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. I mean, doesn't that make you upset, you know? The opportunist. They've done nothing. They just sit there like a dumb something <laughs> and it falls in their lap. They've done nothing to deserve it and yet they get it all. Just being at the right place at the right time like those Russian tycoons that took control of state assets after the fall of communism and now swan around the Mediterranean 
buying English Premier League teams. Meaningless, says the teacher. In fact, he makes the point even stronger. He says that there is a great misfortune. It's immoral, it's an outrage, it's absurd. You see, here at this point, no longer does the teacher see work as significant and substantial in and of itself. Now, that, that's an illusion now that's been shattered. Friends, I want to ask a question of you. What sort of illusion of work has, has shattered for you? Or do you perhaps secretly harbour some hope, some aspiration that our work has meaning and significance? That somehow we're different. You might be thinking, oh, Paul, you don't understand. My work impacts so many people. It's worth so much money. It involves millions and millions of dollars. It must provide a purpose. Well, what would the teacher say to that? Wake up. Get a little bit of perspective. Be careful how much you lay upon work. What he's saying here is work under the sun is meaningless. The shadow of death will bring it to an end and your wealth and legacy can be squandered by a fool. I said there was three things though, so the third thing. Finally, work is meaningless because it brings stress. Have a look at chapter 2 verse 22 here on the screen. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days... Their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. I don't know if you can relate to this teaching here. There he is working hard all day, anxiously striving, and the result is just grief and pain. And at the end of the day, his mind does not switch off. He toils, he toils all day, but then he tosses and turns all night. Have you had that sort of experience? How often has a work issue or a school issue kept you awake at night? You know, isn't it sad there's almost a direct correlation with the more important the job, the greater the stress. Have you just seen the stress etched onto the faces of our politicians at the moment? They're under some serious stress. The teacher is frustrated. He's no difference to us. He's realised that his work has not fulfilled his real yearnings. His deepest desires as a person for meaning and purpose. They are not satisfied by his work. And I guess all this is quite striking because of who is saying it? Most likely these teachings are the teachings of King Solomon himself. In the kingdom of Old Testament Israel, there was no one wiser, no one who had access to more pleasure, no one who had more wealth. If anyone could have found significance in the work of this world, then we would expect Solomon could have. But he can't. He can't find meaning in his wisdom, in his wine, in women, in his work. He could be like any worker amongst us today, I think. I enjoy my job, I make good money from the job that I'm doing, but yet I feel totally empty. It's frustrating, it's, it's despairing. 
The teacher is actually here being very honest with us. He's shining a light on the false paths that we can walk down. He's being brutally honest to warn us to see faulty worldviews, worldviews that are unable to bear our aspirations. So again, I ask the question, how solid is the ground that we're standing? How dependable is it? It's about having the right perspective, making sure that we understand the limitations of what work under the sun can do. You could actually sum up the teaching of the whole of Ecclesiastes on work like this. I've got it here on the screen. Work is meaningful, but work cannot be the meaning of life. Get that? Don't think of anything else tonight. Remember this one. Work is meaningful, but work cannot be the meaning of life. Okay. So is there any good news? Is there any good news tonight to walk away with? Is there any godly wisdom for us this week? How can we work wisely? The reality of work, how can we work wisely? Well, from this section we get two words of wisdom. The first is to be content with what God has provided in the present and the here and now. At the end of the day, everything is a gift from God. The God who determines everything. Have a look at verse 24 here on the screen. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? You see, friends, at the end of the day, satisfaction in work doesn't come from having the right employer or having the right employee or being in the right profession. It's not even in how much money you make. Satisfaction comes from God, is a gift from him. So the teacher says, be content, be thankful, stop striving, stop stressing and get on with life. How? Well, by remembering that God has given you everything. Even your work is a gift from him. You know, that's the point, actually, the poem that will follow this chapter in chapter 3, that great poem about a time for this, a time for that. That poem, actually, it's not a comfort poem. I know it sounds beautiful, the sort of thing you put up on posters and stick on the wall. But the poem in chapter 3 is not a comfort poem. It's a wisdom poem. We would understand that God determines everything. He appoints the times. We can't control them. And so be content and be thankful for God's provision in the here and now. And don't we see this echoed in the teachings of Jesus? There on the Sermon on the Mount, beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, I've got it here on screen for you. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here's the first 
application, the first thing to think about. Be content. Be thankful for what God has given you. That's the first application. Secondly is this. Have you noticed that refrain that's been going on? Work under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. The challenge is that we need to be looking to beyond life under the sun. Have a look at this verse in chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. You're up on the screen. What do workers gain from their toil? There's again that question, comes up again. I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Look at this. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God has given us a sense of discontent with the world. You're right to feel discontent. There's an idea that there's something more out there, something more significant than a life of toil under the sun. And so the teacher looks forward to a certain future. And just a little bit further down in chapter 3, we get this um, verse, verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. The God who has determined everything has set a time for justice. And well, how will this pan out? Well, the Apostle Paul explained it to the people of Athens a long time in, in Acts chapter 17. He said this, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. How has he done that? Because he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There will be a time, friends, there will be a time when Jesus comes back to judge the world. That's our certain future as we look beyond this life under the sun. So at the, end of the, at the end of the day, we've got to have that perspective, that balance. All that we do without reference to God under the sun is indeed meaningless. And yet, in the light of God's future judgment, everything we do is meaningful, it matters. Because one day we're going to meet our God, creator God, and his judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray today? Let's pray. Lord, I would do thank and praise you for your word. We thank you for the helpful corrective that it is to us, that it shines light on the false paths we can walk down. Please help us, Lord, to be thankful and content with what we've been given. Help us to have eyes that are focused on eternity beyond life under the sun to our certain future with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Amen.